Blog Talk Radio. dry and out of the snow because I hear up north it is a nightmare. Anyway, Desperate House Witches is not a G, PG, or even an R-rated show, so bad language, bodily function, dirty talk, it's going to happen here. I'm just telling you. Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the incredibly wicked one herself, the amazing Dorothy Morrison. Please check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com for all of your witching needs. And without further ado, my guest today, author of The Crooked Path and now The Witch's Sabbath, the amazing Kelvin. Hey, Kelvin. Hey. <laughs> How are you? I hear it's 12 degrees where you are. It's very, yeah, it's been very cold here. Ugh. Well, anyway, I'm so glad. I'm, Warm. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. It's Well, I mean, I it's 40 degrees where I am, so relatively speaking, it is warm where I am right now. <laughs> so we have an interesting conversation coming today, and part of this conversation is going to include things like Christianity. So if anybody... Um, just doesn't want to deal with that, I understand, but now would be your time to exit because we are going to talk about a lot of stuff that some folks don't agree with and some folks do. It's up to you. I want to talk about it, so we're talking about it. Anyway, (laughs) and Kelvin, I just have to tell you that I have visions of you many, many years from now after I am long gone and buried as being this classic historian um, along the lines of like Alain Milo Duquette, you know, who whose last book was The Complete Book of Ceremonial Magic. I see you as one of those historians that really examines from every angle without prejudice, uh, a forethought when you are doing these studies. Because obviously, if anyone is not familiar with The Witch's Sabbath, it is a book of folklore and history, which is why some of the subject matter some folks may have a problem with today. But what was, why did you, why was this book necessary for you to write when you wrote it? What, what was the impetus for the Witch's Sabbath? Well, really, the motivation for writing this book was. I mean, one, just my love for the Sabbath itself is something that is a big part of my personal practice, um, but also my love mm-hmm. of history and folklore. And I think yeah. there's, unfortunately, there's oftentimes not, um, you know, not a huge interest, I think, in our community for, like, the history of where the things we do come from. Um, right. And I think the very oftentimes overlooked pieces of of our folklore of our history is the witch's sabbath um and and there's there's many reasons for that and one of them is because a lot of that a lot of that history a lot of the discussions about um the witch's sabbath where it came from and things like that has really um for a long time been relegated to uh more academic spheres um, so these, mm-hmm. these discussions, these analyses are happening um, in academic journals and texts and things like that that we're typically not being exposed to or not having access to. So yeah. my goal in writing this book was really to bridge that gap. Um, I mean, I think yeah. for a long time, probably the most 
um, like quintessential text on the Witch's Sabbath is Carlo Ginsburg's Ecstasies Deciphering the Witch's Sabbath, um, which is a pretty dense book, but and it's also written by somebody who's not a practitioner. And I think when we look mm-hmm. at the way that, that scholars, academics have written about the Sabbath, um, you know, they don't have that that added piece in there that this is something that still continues on today. Um, it's sort of like, you know, there's that cutoff point for them. And I wanted to say, okay, yes, let's look at this historical development, but then let's continue that historical development into the modern era and kind of where the Sabbath exists today for modern practitioners. And I think it's important that someone who is a practitioner writes this book because it's one thing to come at something from an academic standpoint. It can be very dry. Um, there's a basic wall or there's an, an un, understood wall between someone who is not a practitioner and someone who is. It's not that their information would not be valid, but I think it's more meaningful when you are talking to someone who understands where you're coming from to help absorb this kind of information. I will tell you honestly that when I was coming up a multitude of years ago, um, the whys and wherefores of what I was taught were not imparted to me. Um, It was more magic-based. So I was missing and have been missing for many, many years the the lore and the history and the roots, so to speak, of the Witch's Sabbath, amongst many other things. I mean, when you started um, learning about witchcraft back in the late 70s, early 80s, a lot of the time, the books we were getting, there was already a basic understanding that we knew a lot more than we did. And that's just honest, you know. Um, it was like through books like from Patricia Crowther that helped me along from a, a bit more of a common knowledge basis, but still a lot of it was very heady stuff. If you were a, a young teenager first learning all of this, you know, information was not easy to get. So I'm very appreciative now that I have the luxury of a little more time in my life now that I'm older uh, to go back and actually learn more about my own history. I think it's kind of important. Absolutely. So I wanted to ask you, um, so what, I'm assuming you've had um, experiences of hedge witchery and flight and, you know, visiting a witch's Sabbath. Can you talk about maybe your first introduction to that from your own experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. A part of the thing that's really interesting, and I think this is oftentimes the case for many people, is, you know, spirit flight, hedge crossing was something that I've been doing from a rather young age. Like it's always sort of just been part of my life experience is kind of shifting between realms Um, and then you know as you learn and grow and you're exposed to more resources you learn things you sort of come across terminology and frameworks and you're like what there's a name for this thing that I'm doing or like this is um, you know a way to expand upon this this process that's that's already been ongoing Um, so I think really as you know, as I started reading more um, texts on on modern witchcraft practice, that's where I started to get exposed to more of this language, to this, this kind of context or structure, if you will. Um, but in terms of the witch's Sabbath, again, I mean, it's these sort of dreams and these experiences between waking and dreaming that sort of have been ongoing my life where you are visiting this otherworldly location and it's very sort of fantastical and you're convening with all of these spirits and there's this 
you know, this almost like this central point within it where everyone's kind of spiraling together and dancing and coming together and you come together and then you you depart and you kind of go back to the world of of waking. Um mm-hmm. and you've brought back with you different ideas or inspirations. Um and in terms of like one of the places that I really actually first found a lot of of the kind of language for this was actually in Christopher Penzak's book, The Temple of Shamanic Witchcraft. Um, so mm-hmm. very early on that was exposure to the idea of like, oh yeah, like okay, there's some you know, like for like the three worlds or the world tree, things like that. Um, yeah. And that as I continued to read, I was finding stuff in other sources. Of course, once you start to get into the realm of traditional witchcraft, there's, you know, particular terminology that's being used. It's also interesting to see that you bring up prejudice because that's one of the things that I really like. You're very muffled, love. Oh, I'm muffled. Okay, can you hear me? Can you hear me that's now? much better. That's okay. much better. That's much better. Thank you. <laughs> it's the other world. The other world coming in. Right. <laughs> um, so, anyways, so that's I just yeah. That's just some of my early experience. Well, let me let me and just for clarity's sake, um, please explain the difference between that kind of a, an experience as opposed to astral projection because they are very different yeah so this this is a question that i frequently get and i think it's one that is always going to sort of hinge on how we're defining astral projection um mm-hmm. in a very classical sense i mean astral projection does involve kind of going into the astral world or sort of this other world um, and perhaps traveling into different realms. But I think in our sort of more modern speak, a lot of times astral projection is just referring to sort of your spirit or astral self traveling out of your body and kind of roaming about the physical world. Um, so like if I yeah. left my body and was walking around my apartment or I went two states over to to visit someone in astral form, um, and this is where the difference lies, because when we talk about hedge crossing or we talk about spirit flight, um, really specifically, it's talking about going into the other world. Um, so you're not mm-hmm. necessarily roaming out kind of the physical plane. You're, you're crossing the hedge into the world of, of spirit. Yeah. Well... Uh- and have you had any experience with actual astral projection as opposed to hedge crossing or 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 that kind of flight? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I mean, I think it's sort of, um, you know, it's ultimately up to you. Like, if you are going into this space where your, your spirit is kind of going out and about, um, you get to sort of decide, like, am I going to stay here? And kind of do my thing, or am I going to cross that hedge into the other mm-hmm. world? Um, right. So, for me, I've—I mean, I've experienced both. Um, I—I I will say I don't tend to do a whole lot of, um, you know, more of the like in the physical plane travel. I, yeah. I typically will just you know cross the hedge and go that route. Yeah, which is probably safer than what I did. Because <laughs> I had an I had an incident when I was in my early twenties, where I was attempting to astral project, and the next thing I knew, I was stepping off of a curb in front of a bus, and a complete stranger had to grab me and stop me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and at that point, I realized, gee, maybe I don't know enough to be doing this shit. So I stopped immediately. <laughs> that was the last time I had ever attempted it, and I am—I'm—I scared myself badly enough that um, that was it for me. Now, as far as as you know, going to a witch's Sabbath, 
I'll tell you honestly, there were things that I experienced when I was younger uh, that I didn't understand, but it's very much described um, the way you've described it with, you know, a bunch of spirits. And in my case, it was a bunch of spirits and, and it was a very comforting thing. But for me, I think it was, I always thought that I was just imagining things to comfort myself as an abused child. So, mm -hmm. But it, then again, later on in life, I had a friend who actually invited me to a witch's Sabbath. And I well, don't even know how that happened. Yeah, it was weird. But she's like, we're going tonight. Be ready. And I was like, okay. And it actually happened. And it was one of the wildest experiences. But I'm, you know, I am a real huge skeptic when it comes to everything, even though I'm mm -hmm. a practicing witch, I cast spells, I this, that, the other, whatever. But you know what I mean? I'm still a skeptic, and when I cast a spell and it works, it's kind of like, woohoo, that worked. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a wild thing for me, but when I actually wound up in a place where she and I could both describe and had shared vision, memory, um, experience of it, I was like, either I'm nuts or this shit's real. Because you know me, I'm, <laughs> I'm down to earth about all this, all this stuff. It's like, did that really happen? Well, hell yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. And it's always nice when you have somebody who can corroborate whatever it is you're saying, but... I still wonder sometimes, I'm like, did that really happen, or was my, my imagination too active? Or, but then again, if that's the case, then how is she having the same memories I'm having? How is that even possible? But, yeah, I mean, I, it's something I never talked about before right now. So thank you for not making me feel like I'm insane <laughs> because, well, there's a part of you when you do something like that and – you know, we we talk about hedge crossing and we talk about this kind of flight. And we talk about the witch's Sabbath, but don't know that even folks who are practicing witches or folks who are, you know, extremely spiritual of whatever nature, believe it. You know, it's like, oh, is it a flight of fancy, so to speak, or is it a real thing? And isn't it both? Is Aren't both valid? Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's exactly what I would say to that is, I mean, even if it is just your imagination, which also, I mean, isn't imagination in, in and by itself magic. Um, sure. Like, even if it's just your imagination, like, I mean, if it's having a positive effect upon you, like, I think that's, I think that's equally valid. If you're walking away feeling empowered, that's great. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of us got into magic in the first place for the, the feeling of self-empowerment where we might have been oppressed before uh, under certain circumstances, you know, and I did say that part of this conversation was going to be about Christianity. So here it comes, um, you know, there's a lot of Christians who convert over to, paganism, witchcraft, fill in the blank. Um, I started out with a, a parent who was a witch who then converted to Christianity, so it was kind of a little bit backwards in my world. Um, and my idea or what it was expressed to me when she converted was, well, you know, it makes me feel better, and, you know, this is the truth. And, and they talk a lot about the joy of, Christ, as it were. And my problem with that is that if it's serving you and that's what you want to believe, that's a beautiful thing. Anything that gives you peace and joy is wonderful. However, my issue is when the peace and joy you have is either A, fake, or B, you want to rob me of my peace and joy, which is not the same as yours, because you feel like you have the need or right to attempt to convert someone else. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that. That's my only uh, issue with you know. I don't have an issue. As I said to you earlier before we went on the air, I don't have an issue with Jesus. I have an issue with his followers. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it's interesting because it's, I mean, I think it's always just going to be an interesting part of human behavior and how we relate to each other, because I think a lot of times this expands even further outside of just Christianity. I mean, like we were talking about earlier, we can bring this back to the witchcraft or even broader pagan community in the way that, um, you know, people get hung up in these arguments of like, who's doing it right? Like, oh, like you're casting a spell that way, like stupid, because that's not how I do it, so therefore you're wrong, or like let me go out of my way to shit on every other practitioner so that Mm. then I can somehow feel superior or more, you know, um, more powerful. Um, There's a lot of interesting psychology behind all of it, Um, you know, so I think it's, we see it a lot in these certain spaces, but what we can also turn around and, you know, we, we tend to also find it closer to home as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you talk a bit about the Christian uh, relation to the witches' Sabbath? I know you did extensive, extensive research on the subject. Yeah. Um, so this is actually, I mean, this, this is an area where I tend to make people very unhappy, um, because the sort of like hot take, even though it's, it's not really a hot take because it's just history is that witchcraft largely comes out of and in response to Christianity. Um, and what I mean by that is a lot of a lot of the pieces of witchcraft are coming specifically out of the folklore that was generated by Christianity. Um, so specifically when it comes to the Sabbath, there's this kind of long chain of, of events, of developmental marker points that would lead up to the witch's Sabbath being a thing. Um, uh-huh. and, and the witch's Sabbath becomes a thing through Christianity. Um, so we sort of see, I mean, the, the, the sort of cliff notes version is, you know, we, we almost, we actually start with accusations against early Christians, um, by the Roman and Greek pagans. But when when Christianity takes hold and becomes the dominant religion, Christianity takes those accusations and starts and starts lodging them against other people, um, and this really further snowballs everything. This idea of you know secret groups of people meeting to undermine Christianity, they're engaging in in different acts, um, you know, then this. This goes on to target specific groups deemed heretical. Um, and, and through this process, this idea of diabolical witchcraft is, is established. This idea of, of cladestine, uh, groups meeting during the night to worship Satan, to worship the devil, to work harmful magic. And then this is directly then interjected into, into the witch trials. And it really, it really takes root in, in trial transcripts and confessional materials, and it just spreads from there. Um, so prior to, I mean, prior to, to Christianity becoming the dominant religion, like we do have sort of this, this idea or these accusations of, of secret kind of nocturnal meetings, but it's not specifically about witches. That doesn't happen mm-hmm. until Christianity takes hold. Interesting. Very interesting. So basically, 
the the secret meetings were not necessarily uh or it sounds like not at all people who were practicing a kind of witchcraft whether it is a a folk witchcraft or or something like that it was basically someone or pe- or a group of people questioning what i would assume was called the new religion right is that correct right right so prior to prior to christianity becoming the dominant religion like so for example i mean with the with the greek and the roman pagans the accusations was really were really that um christians were coming together to have these secret meetings where they would um commit acts such as infanticide and cannibalism and and orgies um and it didn't mm-hmm. involve it didn't involve witchcraft it didn't involve demon like any kind of demonic elements that wouldn't come until later um after after christianity became the dominant religion that's when those pieces would be added to those prior accusations so the christians then kind of lodged um you know against uh against jewish people against people with leprosy and then again with these mm-hmm. with these different heretic groups would say you know that these yeah. people are meeting to to murder babies to eat these babies to have these um, nasty orgies, but then also to commit acts of apostasy, you know, so they're trampling the cross, they're desecrating the hosts, they're worshiping Satan, um, and then eventually sort of pieces of sorcery are brought into that. So now they're also practicing magic. Um, this is where we're starting to wow. see this become that symbolical witchcraft. Interesting. Very interesting. I find this really fascinating because it it, it almost seems like um, a previous projection. You know, the infanticide, the the orgies, and it just reminds me of Republic the Republican Party. Okay, I'm kidding. Okay, I'm not kidding. But anyway, do you know what I'm saying? It's like. You're accusing of all of these things that maybe you were actually doing, that kind of a projection. Mm-hmm. Is, is that what was going on? Is that is that how it was starting? Or they were just scapegoating because you always have to have an enemy anytime you have a crusade? I mean, you've got to have somebody you're opposing, right? Well, right. And when we look at these three specific accusations that – that come up across time, infanticide, cannibalism, and and typically uh, specifically incestuous orgies, is that these are sort of three things that um, can be seen as like antithetical to human nature, to the laws of nature. Um, these things are considered beastly and, and non-human, non-civilized, and so they specifically come up because it helps dehumanize your enemy. Um, there's been mm-hmm. some that especially with the early um, like the Greek and Roman pagans is that as they're experiencing Christianity they're sort of misinterpreting things like so for example like the Eucharist right they're talking about about consuming the blood in the body of Christ so they're talking about mm-hmm. you know loving your brother and sister um, so is there possible that they're just taking these things as literal and and sort of and misinterpreting what's happening um, but I think even if that's not happening, um, it's still just that these are things that are considered monstrous, and so you you accuse your enemies of that, um, and we see that then, right, the Christians continue this by using that against their enemies, and we see this, like you were saying, up into the modern era. I mean, these are still a big part of conspiracy theories, right, you know, like yep. that the liberals mm-hmm. are eating children, that there's this underground uh-huh. cult for these horrible things are happening. Um, yep. I mean, this is just, it seems like it's just a staple of, right, of conspiracy theories, of dehumanizing the people you view as your enemy. So, there's so much of it. And, it. and like you said, it does really continue. And, you know, it's bad enough that Hollywood has had such a hand in portraying 
uh, various magical and, and witchcraft practices as being these these shadowy evil things when, you know, the only reason uh, that I could understand why we were practicing in the dark was because it was private. You know, I don't walk in on someone else's religious services unless invited, you know, and, and it helps to be able to be out in nature when you are practicing a nature-based path. So, you know, there's an explanation, I believe, for all of the bad, quote-unquote, attributes that Christians Mm -hmm. throw on um, non-Christians, you know, no matter who the non-Christian is. Do you find the same? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean... It's it's incredible how things start off one way and just kind of escalate, even though they are proven to be false. You know, I wanted to ask you, um, what what bad or misinterpreted uh, things do you find are still being propagated in a real sense? I mean, by rational people. I'm not talking about the whole, you know. Uh, there's there are, there's a children's trafficking ring coming outside of a pizza parlor or any of that. What kind of just mm-hmm. misconceptions, common misconceptions, are you finding are still being propagated against pagans and and people who practice magic of all kinds? Oh, that's a difficult question because I think that um, it's. There's a lot of nuance there, and by that I mean that, um, you know, like one of the, I mean, the biggest one would just be that, you know, pagans are evil. Um, you know, I would say, and this is <laughs> this is where it gets complicated for me, is that I would say, right, that like, uh, that all pagans or all witches are working with Satan or working with the devil. Um, and, and where it gets nuanced is that there are witches who work with the devil, including myself. There are witches that work with the devil in a very, um, in a very like theological Satan sense. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say that like that that's true for all, um, right? Yeah. All pagan witches, um, because that certainly that is certainly not true. Um, right. Although I do point out that it's certainly also not true that no witches work with the devil. Right. Um, right. Yeah, so I like kind of just the biggest misconceptions would be, you know, that right, that we're evil, we're harmful um, because those are also really big broad brush strokes um, to yeah. make about any group of people. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say those are the biggest ones, but I think there's also, I mean, I think that there's also benign, um, more benign um, misconceptions, too. I mean, like, I think the big one for for many people is just the assumption that if you say, like, you're pagan or you're a witch, the assumption is, like, you're Wiccan, um, or, or people assuming, you know, that it means a specific, a specific thing that maybe doesn't hold true. Mm-hmm. So I have a follow-up question for that, obviously. Um, What misconceptions and lies do magic users, witches, pagans, propagate themselves? Oh, my gosh. Um, Okay, I think I'm understanding the question. You're breaking up again, honey. You're getting... You're muscled again. Can you hear me better now? Yeah, that's better. Thank you. Okay. I also have really crappy reception, so <laughs> we're just we're just holding on hope. Okay. Um, well, you're doing good so far. But I know that, okay. that yeah. even even people I love somehow somehow managed to spread some things that are not necessarily true. So I wanted your take on this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so sort of the biggest one, and, and this kind of ties back to what we were talking about with Christianity um, and some of the biggest things that that kind of come up for me, whether it's, you know, people that are unhappy with things that I'm writing about or things that I'm saying, um, is sort of just mm-hmm. like the, the – 
misconceptions about the historical development of witchcraft. Um, So this that often comes up is, you know, why talk about witch trials? Why talk about, um, you know, these these places where Christianity was, um, you know, was popping up, like these Christian views on witchcraft, so on and so forth. Um, You know, why not talk about real history? Why not talk about witchcraft? because that existed before Christianity. Um, and it's a question that I always sort of um, respond with the question of, well, what do you mean by real history? What do you mean by witchcraft before Christianity? Because a lot of times what people aren't understanding is that even before Christianity, the the sort of witch figure was not looked upon kindly. I mean, even in the classical world, um, in Rome, in Greece, the characters that, you know, that sort of resemble what we would call a witch, um, they weren't, they weren't respected. They were still feared. They were still persecuted. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think people have this idea that, you know, even before Christianity, there were people who were calling themselves witches and they were doing the things that we would consider witchcraft. Um, and they were respected, they were healers, um, they were worshiping pagan deities, um, and that's just not, that's just not completely accurate. Um, and I think it's a way to sort of bypass having to, to deal with maybe some of the discomforting parts of our history and our folkloric heritage. You know, if you don't want to, if you don't want to reconcile with the influence of Christianity on witchcraft, it's an easy way to bypass that by being, by saying, you know, like, well, there were witches before Christianity and they were doing these things and that's what I'm doing. And nothing I do today was at all influenced by witch trial confessional material. So um, I would say that that is my answer to your question. And I hope it makes sense. Oh, well, it does. But I, I also have a follow up to that. So in essence, okay. I need I need to ask. Um, you're saying that there's a specific point where witches and witchcraft really come into being uh, in the zeitgeist, for lack of a better word. But what would you say about uh, you know like the simple folk who would do things by a fire or no certain herbs. Is that more of an herb lore that we're actually talking about? Folky lore, folk magic. Is it is it a different thing? Is it say are you saying that that wasn't going on before Christianity? I just want to make sure I understand. Yeah, no, great follow up question. Um, right. So this brings in another sort of. Um, big conversation that is happening a lot lately, which is really great, um, is sort of differentiating between magical practice and witchcraft. Um, uh-huh. So people, people have been practicing magic forever. Um, people have right. been, you know, using herbs and working with spirits and things like that for forever. Um, right. But a lot of those things have specific terminology. Those things have um, specific cultural nuances. Um, and yeah. really, when we look at witchcraft, witchcraft is a specifically European construct um, uh-huh. that, comes, that comes at a certain point in history. And so before that, when we look at other cultures, and we look at their magical practices from today's perspective, it's very easy to sort of retroactively label those things as witchcraft or those people as witches. Um, Uh When that's not language they would have been using. That's not, um, you know, that's not how they would describe at all what, what they were doing. Um, And I think that's actually really problematic um, because one is that it distorts history it also minimizes and potentially erases cultural nuance. Yeah, I can I can see that. I can understand that point. Um, so it's not that magic wasn't in existence. It's not that magical things were not being employed. 
it's the it's the idea of witchcraft as we know it and we are retroactively it sounds and correct me if i'm wrong we we have a habit of retroactively calling people witches before actual witchcraft as the term that we know it now are being applied so in essence we're rewriting history is that what we're doing is that what's going on right exactly ah okay 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 because i think some folks not understanding that you recognize or or absolutely agree that magic has been practiced and used and and herb craft as it were were being employed i think folks have a real problem when you say witchcraft is only this amount of years old because witchcraft in and of itself british traditional which I practice Gardnerianism, which is a British traditional witchcraft, it's very young. It's not that old at all, (laughs) which isn't to say that magic isn't old. But the practice of Mm -hmm. that witchcraft is quite new. As a matter of fact, um, I was born in 1961, and it wasn't brought over from England until, like, just after I was born, I think, that Buckland yeah. uh, started discussing it here in America. So it's it's newer than, than the term is newer than we give it the appropriate credit for or, or put in the appropriate space. Yes. That's where people may, may have a confusion that, well, what do you mean? Didn't didn't magic exist before that? Of course it did, but witchcraft, the term, did not. And I think that's a very important distinction. The other thing I mm-hmm. wanted to ask you about is something that I see coming up a lot lately, and it's the difference between being a witch and being a magic user, because as you stated earlier, they are very mm-hmm. different things. And I wanted to know, is the difference a religious difference is is that what it's based on mhm i mean like my first inclination is to say no i don't think that is what makes the difference between a magical practitioner and a witch um okay. i think you know well and, and this this is where we get into extra dangerous territory because anytime you try to define what witchcraft is you know Someone's always going to feel left out or not represented. So, you know, I speak for myself here. Um, But witchcraft, to me, a very specific thing, and it involves very specific practices. And so while it includes magic, um, it also includes these specific pieces, such as the spirit flight, going to the Sabbath, Working, you know, working very closely with the natural landscape. Um, it includes all of these things together that I think other times exist maybe on their own. So, like for example, like somebody who um, practices divination. Like, does that in, does that make them a witch, or does that make them somebody who practices divination? Um, right. Who works with herbs? Does that make them a witch, or does that make them someone who works with herbs? Like, witchcraft involves a specific criteria list of different pieces. Um, mm-hmm. And the other piece of it, too, is, is cultural nuance. So, for example, um, like hoodoo. Hoodoo is a specific tradition. It is not right. witchcraft. It's hoodoo. Um, and... Somebody who practices hoodoo might also consider themselves a witch, but does, that does not mean that all people who practice hoodoo consider themselves witches. Um, right. You know, for me, I guess, I guess really the difference lies in um, witchcraft pulls specifically from this body of folklore that, you know, from this folklore of witchcraft and Whereas other other magical traditions are pulling from their specific cultural lore, mythos, um, just cultural experiences, etc. Sure. Interesting. So, yeah, that's well. I and I agree. Everything is not one or the other. I think 
you know, the nuances increase as knowledge increases. You know, uh, back in the day, things were a lot more cut and dried because nuance isn't something that they thought about very much. Mm-hmm. Now we're, you know, we're at an era where nuance can be very important. And, you know, you talk about cultural nuance, and which brings me to my next question. Is the word authenticity overused? Ooh. When it comes um, to that. Yeah. Um, sorry, I literally just swallowed my coffee wrong. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, wow, we're really, we're powering through today. Um, yeah. I think it is, I think it is sometimes overused, but I think it is more often misunderstood. I think people are often looking for authenticity in the wrong places. Um, mm-hmm. So, Specifically, like, the idea of, like, what does it mean to be an authentic witch? What does it mean to be an authentic magical practitioner? Um, I think a lot of times people are looking at, like, they're looking at the externals. So they're looking at, you know, like, using the right tools. I mean, using the right ingredients is, you know, is what I'm practicing. Um, Because a lot of times, especially within traditional witchcraft, sort of the, you know, the, the misunderstood criteria for authenticity is, is what I'm practicing extremely old. Is it exactly what people were doing way back in whatever year I decide as the, like, you know, like the, you know, the time, the appropriate time. Um, uh-huh. And, um, you know, is it, is it really old? Is it exactly the same? So on and so forth. Um, right. But authenticity comes from within and it comes from the fact that like you know what you're doing is it getting you results is it empowering you is it connecting you to whatever it is you may be trying to connect to so if that's like a specific spirit if that's the local landscape if that's your ancestors like whoever right um right that's mm-hmm. what makes you authentic is that you're getting results and you're feeling connected um, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not based on, you know, how spooky your altar looks or, you know, that you can recite this long Latin chant you Google translated. Um, like those things, those things are only going to matter if they have meaning to you. Um, exactly. so I think, I think we look for authenticity in the wrong places, um, mm-hmm. and that way it's, it's sort of maybe overused that we get into these, these, you know, long debates over what is authentic when, you know, really the answer to that question is, is within us. I totally agree. And, you know, for me, the idea of authenticity stems from, uh, from what I've seen, it stems from a form of of imposter syndrome because it mm-hmm. seems as though there are a lot of folks who have this need to convince themselves that only through, I don't know, hundreds of years, decades, thousands, whatever, that it's only real if it's actually old. But, you know, I also want to remind people everything was new at one time and yes. it's important to validate what you are doing as the new practices, you know, having been raised Gardnerian, um, kind of the what would be considered an old-fashioned form of witchcraft, we weren't wise to a lot of different ways. Back in the, you know, early 70s, late 70s, early 80s, we were first learning about witchcraft as it was brought over from Europe. That's some folks, mm-hmm. not everyone, but some folks, the large majority of the people I know. Um, No one discussed the fact, it was kind of like this open secret where we did not discuss the fact that this was new shit, you know, (laughs) and I think people have to stop getting in their own way. I did a huge rant on my last birthday in October about, you know, old craft versus new craft and how Mm. you can't tell people they're doing witchcraft incorrectly 
because it's if it stays the same thing as it was when I was first practicing, it means it hasn't grown. And if it doesn't grow and change, it dies. So you either have the yeah. option of having a practice which dies and dies with you, or you have the option of, you know, accepting the new information. We're constantly evolving, at least I like to hope we are. Um, and in order to evolve and change, you have to sometimes look at other things that you're not doing as being real and good and just and valuable, you know, on the earth. It's not all about a select group of people, quote, unquote, doing it right. I, I have a very hard time with the old, quote, unquote, guard telling younger folks, you know, well, in my day. Yes, in my day it was very different. In my day it was very different. Um, I'm so glad it's not my day anymore because the one thing we all used to say when we were younger people in my age group uh, was that we wished we could be accepted and walk in the same sunlight as the other recognized religions. Well, here mm -hmm. you go. This is what that means, you know. So to me, this is very, it's very important that folks go with that and let things evolve and change. And I'm really grateful because, you know, I only knew about the witchcraft I was being raised in. I didn't know about all these other – and there were other practices then, too, but we weren't – we didn't have the Internet. We weren't exposed to these things. Right. So how glorious that there is now this wonderful variety uh, and changing landscape. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and I, I, I do have to say I love the fact that you are um, uh, a, a, a health provider of sorts, and you're able to explain these things from a very nuanced perspective where some people I understand not ha not hearing everything you're saying would be would lend that to being misunderstood so in essence you know you telling folks that witchcraft is new it didn't exist blah 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 they also need to hear you say I'm not saying magic didn't exist. I mean, these are these are the parts of the conversation that I think folks miss, and therefore mm -hmm. that may be why you know you said it, it makes people angry. I think if they don't hear the whole thing, that they're only paying attention to part of it. But it, I think you've mm -hmm. explained it beautifully. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And I sometimes. Do. Oh, go ahead. I'm sometimes sorry. it's, I mean, sometimes, you know, my thoughts are just such a whirlwind within my head that I'm always just like, you know, I hope that, I hope that these things make sense outside of my own head. Um, but yeah, I think people, well, I mean, and I think people are very attached to the things they believe to be true or that they want uh -huh. to be true. Um, yeah. You know, like one thing that, you know, that we haven't discussed is that, um, well, I mean, and you were sort of talking about it earlier, is that a lot of people come to paganism or witchcraft um, from maybe from Christianity or from a Christian background. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people had negative experiences with Christianity. And so when they, when they come to paganism, when they come to Wicca or witchcraft, it's, it's a haven for them. It's refreshing. And a lot of people mm -hmm. don't want any to do with Christianity at that point and that's very understandable um, and so then you know if somebody is going to suggest that well actually Christianity plays a very important role in art history um, I think that can be it can be very upsetting for people um, and, and again understandably so I always encourage people you know to, to try to sit with that discomfort and to look at you know where it's coming from and, and, you know, how eventually you can maybe reconcile with that. But again, I mean, it makes, it makes sense why people are upset. It's just, I, I do challenge people to, to push through that at times because you can't, you can't revise history to, you know, to fit, to fit what you want it to. 
Right. I mean, and the narrative, honestly, in my experience and for the people that I have observed, is that the issue is not, again, not Christianity. The issue is Christians. It's very different. Um, You know, there are good witches. There are bad witches. There are good magical practitioners. There are bad ones. There are good Christians. There are bad ones. Um, And I think a lot of these negative experiences go back to specific people as opposed to the religion itself so that is something also that may need to be i mean not that christianity doesn't have harmful tenets that have been written in like being anti-homosexual being anti-trans being anti-fill-in-the-blank all the things that limit freedoms which is why i think so many of us at a young age came to or preferred uh, paganism, witchcraft, fill in the blank, because there's a lack of judgment. Um, one of the biggest things I found in the church was the level of judgment that was cast upon everyone for untold numbers of reasons. Again, is that Christianity or is that what certain Christians have now baked into the cake, as it were, as opposed to the real teachings of Jesus about love your brother and, you know, being kind and taking care of strangers and not looking down at anyone, which are the the tenets of Christianity I kind of liked. But it's really more about the people, I think, and I would encourage folks to maybe not judge the religion 100% by some of its more um, inappropriate followers or those with the biggest mouths, fill in the blank. Um, We have shitty people in every single walk of life. So to not paint a broad brush as you would not want to to be painted with a broad brush on whatever practice you're, you're doing now, you know, it's, it's kind to at least start with an open mind. Now I'm not saying that people, um, will not make that difficult. They will. Uh, I have a lot of problems with a lot of Christians. There are a handful that I don't. But, you know, try to try to not slam a faith based on some of the people you may or may not know. That's my only point. Because I, I think that's, that's where the, the real rub is. It's not the religion itself. It's the people. Right. You know. Well, Kelvin, we have three minutes. Tell people where they can find you, see you, talk to you, get your books, because they're wonderful, and all of that good information. Yeah, so um, the primary place that people can find me is on Instagram, at Kelden Mercury. Um, you can also find me on YouTube, also under Kelden Mercury. Um, you can read my old blog posts on Pathios Pagan. Um, my blog there mm-hmm. is by Acid and Stang, and you can find my books, The Crooked Path and The Witch's Sabbath, really, I mean, really anywhere that books are sold. Um, I always encourage people to buy locally, support your local um, occult stores, um, and, you know, if you want to avoid the big Amazon, remember, um, you can order directly from Llewellyn, so that's super mm-hmm. cool. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, those, those are the places I reside. Wonderful. So tell me before we go, what are you currently working on? I'm currently working on self-care, <laughs> taking Yay. some time for myself. Um, so I'm working on, I'm working on some different projects that may or may not, um, become bigger projects at some points, but, Right now, I'm just enjoying the creative process and allowing things to just be what they will be. Well, that's awesome, I, and you deserve it because you put so much work into everything you write. Uh, the Crooked Path is a fantastic book. The Witch's Sabbath is full of so much information, and not just folklore, but uh, history, and you even put exercises in, and some spell stuff too, y'all. So get this book; it's really great. The Witch's Sabbath, Keldon. 
please come back and visit me soon, would you? I will definitely. I always enjoy um, being here and talking with you. So any chance uh, I can, I will. <laughs> awesome. I so appreciate you. This was a really lively discussion, I, and I had a blast. I hope you did, too. And I, with that, I'm going to say, everybody, take care. I will see you on Thursday with the 415 with Star Bustamante. Have a wonderful week. Bye, y'all.